This is Wherever It Takes Us, a podcast about everything. I'm Kim Moran, a life coach, mom, horse enthusiast, and entrepreneur. I'm David Codney, a dad, an explorer, an artist, and a lost soul. We've come together because we're curious about life, what it means to be human, how and why things are the way they are, and most importantly, why no one talks about this stuff in real and meaningful ways. Join us each week as we dive into things that we're not supposed to say out loud. We're not experts, but we're real people. Hi, Kim. Hi, David. Welcome back to another episode of Wherever It Takes Us. What episode are we on? What number do you know? Mm, I think 12 or 13. Yeah, something like that. Let's say 12 or 13. And you know what? Congratulations to you, Kim. And congratulations to us because we have over 500 downloads and that's huge. It is. It's good. Considering uh, not even maybe two months ago, we had zero and we just called each other was like, hey, do you want to do a podcast? So I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for getting me on this. I'm proud of myself for for joining this. Uh, and I like wherever it takes us. I do too. We've gone on a few good places together. We've gone on a lot of good places together. And if you've joined us throughout those places, be sure to give us a follow or a like, or give us an honest review so we know where we're going. Um, and if you don't like us and you still want to give us a review, go for it. Because I'd love to have you on to talk to us about how you think this is all bullshit. Because I welcome this. That would actually be really good to have someone on and be like, you guys suck. You guys really suck. I think it would be interesting. I know, but you know what? No one will ever do that because they like to like sit behind their computer and like trolls, right? I agree. I agree. But that's my plug for us today is give us a follow, give us a plug, give us a a like, and uh, be sure to give us a review because we can't move forward unless we get honest reviews from people and see where it takes so wherever it takes us. Ah, ha, 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 ha. And with that today, Kim, I want to talk about a sore subject for a lot of people and subjects that aren't really comfortable for a lot of people. But I think um, it's important. And this topic is called money, cabbage, <laughs> dinero, pesos, whatever you want to say. Moolah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, oh you said wow. I say wow all the time, David. It's I, big. Had some, it's big. I had some moments where I should have said, wow, this week and I didn't, but we're going to talk about money. So money is, I think specifically my, my relationship with money, um, the understanding of money, how we need money to live. And yet it's a necessary evil. And yet I don't know if I'm fully comfortable with money yet. And it's interesting because I sit here in my house and I look at all my possessions and I have a lot of nice things and I look at these nice things and I say, does that actually bring me this much happiness or did it just bring me happiness in the moment when I was buying it? What does money represent for you? What does money represent for people? What about this notion that we constantly want to drive for money? And, and I have a different relationship with money today than I did months ago or a year ago. You know, a year ago, I was making a ton more money. I was very successful and I kind of peeled everything back to, to take a huge hit. And I feel like I'm more uh, mentally strong, mentally wealthy now than I was before, but I've taken a hit on the other side. So I have a different relationship with money now. Uh, before money, I didn't have time, but I had money so I could spend money to give me time. And now I have time, but not a lot of money. <laughs> so I could spend time 
So where is my time going to make more money? I don't know. I mean, this is a, yeah, it's a topic. A lot of people are not comfortable speaking about or, or even, I think it just comes like, I know my story about money really comes directly from my parents. And so there's been a lot of kind of overcoming that. And when I was growing up, I remember asking my grandmother or something about money. And she said, oh, no, darling, we don't discuss that. And so it just became really clear to me from a young age that money was a topic that you didn't discuss. People had it. They didn't have it. You just didn't talk about it. I think it's interesting. I um, I grew up in a family where we didn't really want for anything. We didn't really need for anything. But at the same time, we weren't wealthy. We weren't, uh, it wasn't a wealthy overall aspect of things. Um, I think if you look at it from a, a side now, um, you know, you, you or I specifically have a different relationship. And, and, you know, it's not that I want a ton but I realized the value behind it and what it can give me now. And before it was just, I wanted that money, so to speak. I wanted that money, the dollars, the actual dollar amount. And that dollar amount had quote unquote worth behind it for self. And now I look at this as saying money can provide X, Y, and Z. It can provide a relationship with uh, time. It can provide an experience. It can provide, um, uh, what's the word I want to say? It doesn't provide value now. It just it provides more creature comforts. And that creature comfort could be anything, right? That could be a go-kart race. That could be a couch. Or that could just be provided time. And it gives you things at the end. And I think it's really hard to talk to people about. You know, I didn't have a great relationship with it. We never spoke about it in my family often about money. Money was kind of given and taken. Um as you needed it. And I think the more I've spoken to it specifically with my parents now, the better off it has been all recognizing too, that the money that I made coming out of college is what my grandfather was living off of for his whole life. And I think that's, that's a little bit different too. the, the generational gap that you have where uh, older individuals who are living on social security and pensions um, and to see how they're making it in, uh, a forty thousand dollar world, a thirty thousand dollar world, compared to X, Y, and Z on the other end, is interesting. So, you know, why do we covet money? Why is money so important? You know, you look at these guys like the Dalai Lama. You look at all these uh, these monks that travel around that don't have any possessions, creature comforts. I'm not saying I want that. I'm not saying I want that at all. But I am often in awe of these people who have peeled everything away from their life. And they just have one purpose and one sole purpose. And that purpose is, is not to have any creature comforts. And then I look at someone like me who has a ton of creature comforts, you know, who's right and who's wrong in this scenario. I don't think it's a right and wrong scenario. I think it's a, just a different perspective. I will say, you know, there's been a lot of studies about happiness and, you know, I think they determined that once you meet a certain threshold, your happiness doesn't increase until you hit another threshold. So when all of your basic needs are taken care of via money, you know, salary, whatever, then you can experience a certain amount of happiness. And then when you go up to a much higher level and the experiences that you have are very different, 
then you maybe have an increase in, in happiness. I think the basic thing is just having your needs met, having your food, your shelter, uh, just basic life necessities met and not to be worried about, you know, that creates this kind of peace. But I always like to do this and play devil's advocate and sort of be the controversial one. I think that the way our society is designed is to create unhappiness, right? And a, and a constant reaching for something. So you look at advertising, you look at commercials, you look at this is the newest one and the, and the different iterations of technology, the 1.0, 2.0, the latest thing. And we are all desiring to have the latest thing, right? Because that's the programming that's being being put out there. Mm-hmm. You got to have this, you got to have this, buy this, do this. Your life isn't perfect if you don't have this product. There's just this, this sort of artificial uh, need created within us. And when we don't meet that need, we're dissatisfied somehow. So, mm-hmm. Or it makes you better. I mean, I look at things like stupid stuff, right? In my life, um, camouflage, right? Because I hunt. So I have all this camouflage, right? And I look at this and they're coming out with a new duck pattern, right? Which doesn't make any sense to anybody in the world, but it's the new duck pattern. It's the most technologically advanced duck pattern. And I genuinely feel I'll become a better hunter if all of a sudden I have this new duck pattern. And the reality is, no, I won't. It doesn't change anything else. It really doesn't. So on one hand, I'm super frugal and I have the same pair of duck waders that I've had for like four years. And I've really taken this stuff uh, that's basically like, uh, rubber cement on crack and I patch up every hole into these waders that I have. And on the other hand, I'll spend twice the amount of waders on a new shirt because it makes me feel good. And I feel like I'm a better hunter and it's just a wrong premise. And I say this today, as I was walking to get my car fixed because my transmission blew up and I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to afford to pay for the transmission? But at the very same time, I realize I'm spending stupid shit. Uh, $20 here, $30 here, $40 here on stuff that is momentary happiness that really doesn't allow for, for long-term growth. And now I'm just looking at my life and saying, okay, what is it that I actually need? What is it that I don't need? What is it that means something or provides value long-term as opposed to momentary happiness, which again, goes back to money and how am I spending money and how am I spending my time? Yeah. I mean, time is money. And so it's important to think about that, but also money is frequency. It's energy. I'll I'll just use myself. My family had money. Okay. I mean, I don't know how much money, but I never worried about money, but they also had this belief that people with tons of money were somehow amoral. And it's a, not a necessary, a necessarily logical conclusion that all people that have a lot of money are amoral. Um, but that was the story. And so I really had to take a look at that and to say, okay, you know, some people that have a lot of money, I mean, we live in California, we live like in Hollywood, Beverly, you know what I mean? It's crazy money, right? Mm-hmm. Crazy money. Um, and some people are really not doing anything great with their money, but some people are doing really great things with money. And so money isn't either good or bad. It's just a frequency. 
And what you choose to do with your money, whether it's spend time with your family, um, invest in charities, things like this, it's like, it's, it's not positive or negative. It's just a frequency, Mm -hmm. right? And what you're saying is that you're noticing that you're filling voids with money, you know, or things that you can buy with money. And I would say, yeah, I mean, that's pretty common. And what's the void? Right. Well, I think that's the big question now is that what, what is it that it really is coming up with? Um, you know, I, I'm notorious for having 50 million different projects going on of which maybe one or two actually strike, but that amount of time, energy, and resources that is spent on that is questionable to say, if you just focused all that in one resource or two resources, would you be better off? But then you also sit there and say, it's the law of averages too, right? Like if you could, if you could just knock it out of the park every one or two times you went to a plate and, and, you know, just hit a home run, then you would be fine. But that's not the reality either. No, I mean, they say most millionaires have at least seven streams of income. So they might be focusing on one thing, but they have some passive income coming in someplace else. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you gotta, and that's who you are. That's what makes you excited for life is to have lots of different projects going on. Right. But I look at this and I say, is my time spent right now in my thirties and now into my forties specifically right now, is that time spent to be towards something that will help me out in the long term, or am I just fuddling around? Right. And that's where I'm just looking at stuff. And that's where this topic came up today, specifically around money. Mm -hmm. I think there's another story about women and money or people in certain professions and money. There's all kinds of stories out there, like um, professional women. I mean, we know this is the fact they are paid less than their male counterparts. And that's something that just needs to be flat out said. That's mm-hmm. old. That's an old thing, right? When mm-hmm. the guys used to be the heads of households and we don't need that anymore. Equal pay for equal work. And then the story about people in different professions, like if you're in a healing profession or some kind of profession where you're supposed to be a giver, especially if you're a woman, I've heard this from lots of people is that they are reluctant to ask what they believe that they're worth for their work. Why do you You think that is? I think there is a narrative for, and certain types of women pick this up more than others that you're supposed to be a helper and helping is supposed to be free. And that doesn't serve anybody. No, it doesn't. So I see that younger women are getting better about this, but I mean, women, maybe in their forties, fifties, they still struggle. You know, a lot of professional women I talk to are like, well, I'm actually undercharging, but I kind of feel bad, you know, asking for more. And I'm no, just ask for what you're worth. It is funny though, when you talk about asking for what you're worth, because there's a lot of things where I, I, I pucker a little bit when people call and say how much for a job and I give them a quote and I pucker a little bit knowing that uh, this could put me in an area where I have to walk away from it if I give them a quote. And so you have to value your time versus not having anything at all. And there has been scenarios where I've given people a quote and they're like, wow, that's a lot uh, because they thought it was going to be different. Um, But then I also look at myself and I say the level of frustration then if I was providing for this 
and it didn't give me what I needed on the back end, you know, ultimately they're winning and I'm not, and I'm providing the service. Um, so it just comes down to a point of saying, you know, how much are you worth? How do you figure out your worth? Um, and you know, maybe that comes in a different area, but specifically with money, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy, you know, to say, I need this to make sure that I'm afloat. I need money to make sure X, Y, and Z to make sure I'm afloat, but I also need this revenue to come in. Is it worth it that I discount it a little bit just to make sure that I, I seal the deal? Um, and that's, that's a hard, that's a hard area to follow up with right now. Yeah, for sure. I noticed that the resentment that would build if I undervalued myself in certain situations wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And that when we're speaking sort of from an energetic perspective, if you put out into, not to say I've given lots of people discounts on different things that I provide, but holding myself to a standard and saying, no, I'm worth this. I think that that, and it's fair, right? I'm not like saying I'm going to be super, super expensive. Like it's fair. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that sends an energetic vibration into the world too, right? Like I am worth this. That is going out. Not like if every time we discount and discount and discount and devalue ourselves, our time, our expertise, that's the vibration that's going out into the world. Right. So I really am encouraging myself and other women and other people in professions, especially like people that work for themselves, because you do have that worry. Like it's not going to come, you know, if it's too much or, you know, are people willing to pay for this? You do have that worry, but you have to say, no, this is my value. They will come. If you build it, they will come. Right. Right. So, I mean, I think that there's just for me in terms of what I'm working on right now, it's just all about integrity. And so that means that if I'm called to provide a service or a product, that my service and my product has absolute integrity. And within that integrity, there is value. That's what you're paying for mm -hmm. is the integrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it, to wrap it into the integrity part and then put a value aspect on it and then be able to explain that to people is difficult sometimes, especially when it's not a tangible product, right? When you look at brands that are shoe brands or you look at brands that are handbag brands that or a car brand or a house, that's a tangible object. When you provide a service and the service is basically a feeling or an emotion behind it, you know, cause that's ultimately what my job is. I cook, right? So I provide emotion for people. That's happiness. That's a feeling of, you know, you cook and, and, and you want people to leave with love. You want them to leave feeling nourished. You want them to feel um, like they have an experience. Um, that's a little bit more difficult to quantify for people. Uh, and so it's kind of like you sit down with them. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I understand, but it's going to be great. And so to lay back on that, it's a little bit more of a difficult and you're in the same boat right? You provide a coaching experience to people or um, uh, a spiritual healing side to people. And that's very difficult to, to quantify on that because it's also people reach out and they've never been through that before. A lot of people have never been through that before. So how do you even begin to quantify that? Uh, it's just, it's a struggle. It's a struggle some days and I'm struggling right now. <laughs> 
Well, I had somebody, sort of a, a mentor of mine say, whether it takes me 10 minutes or an hour to do this, this is my price. You're not paying me for my time. You're paying me for my experience. Mm-hmm. And that seems a bit harsh, especially when you're talking about you know the kinds of things that we do in the world. But the truth is, is that we bring our, our experience to the table and that's what someone's paying for. And it's a little bit harder to quantify than you know a shoe, but if the integrity is there, that is a felt experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And there's, and it's not go ahead. There's that old adage where it's like, you know, this boiler's blowing up and they call this guy who's an old guy to come in and it's just making this really bad noise, like you know. So this old guy walks in, looks at it for two minutes, feels the boiler with his hand, walks all over the machine, feels it, pulls out a hammer, puts his hand on the machine, hits the machine with the hammer, and it stops. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. How'd you do that? And he gives them the bill and it's $10,000 for the bill. And they're like, it's $10,000 for you to walk in here and hit it once. And so he wrote an invoice after that. And he said, time for 10 minutes to look at the machine, a penny. Knowing where to hit the machine properly. So it works again, 900 or $9,999. And I thought that's great. You know, and then it speaks to that whole point back of experience, 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 not time. Yeah. And so... Therefore, when you go out into the world and you want to buy something to fill a hole, you have to ask yourself, like, what is the value in this item for me? Is it time? Is it what I'm going to get from this? Is it the experience that I'm going to get? So I think if you bring what you would use for your own assessment, right, in your own valuation into whatever you're thinking of buying, it's a different lens to see stuff now. Asking yourself questions like these new shoes are cool. How many times do you think I'm going to wear them? You know, what am I, can I see myself doing something amazing in them? Like, am I going to run really fast from the bad guy with these shoes? Like, is it worth it? You know, nobody, like, nobody says to you anymore. I remember as a kid, I saw this the other day. Nobody says, uh, you know, really cool shoes. They look really fast. You know, like yeah. we used to do with kids. It's great. No, but it's, it's true what you're saying. It's a hundred percent true. It's especially true because now I used to not, I was at a level where I didn't really need money. I wasn't really floating in the money, but the money was coming in. So it was a little bit easier. And now that I have to really watch what I spend, how I spend, where I spend it, I do question where the void's coming from, where the hole's coming in. If it is just filling a void or hole, or if I'm just in a pattern or routine of just spending to spend. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, something that's really been great for me, and it doesn't just, you know, speak to this money thing. It's just sort of generally like a life thing that works really well for me is just to keep a journal, just to jot down some notes. Like if I buy a lot of stuff someday, or, you know, just to jot down all the things I bought and like maybe a sentence or two about why I felt like I had to buy that. And then after a course of time, you go back and reflect and you can see patterns, right? Like when I was really busy, I didn't buy anything, but when I didn't have a lot of work, I was really buying stuff. And it's, it's just kind of interesting to see where you get patterns and you can do this with money or relationships or, you know, anything, just really anything. But, um, it's a great way to sort of become conscious of our patterns and our ways and, you know, where we're leaking energy or money or mm-hmm. time, <laughs> whatever. Mm. I don't know, but I mean, there's about a million 
stories, different stories about money. It just depends where you came from and what the story was told to you. Some families are really open about talking about money, how they spend money, how they invest money, what they believe about money. And some families don't talk about it. Maybe that's cultural on some level. Well, I think it's cultural. And it also depends on how comfortable people are with it. You know, I talk to my kids now about money. I give them the allowance. We talk about the allowance side. And then I try and get them set up because my whole goal for them is I want them to have a healthy relationship with money later on in life. I don't care about what it is today. You know, they're, they're 11 years old. Really? What do they understand? I want them to have a healthy relationship with it later on so that they understand money is a resource, just like any other resource. It could be spent for good. It could be spent for bad, but ultimately you could have it in all different worlds, right? You could spend some money for good. You could spend some money for frivolous things that you just want to have and go into it, but you need ultimately to be able to take care of yourself in the long run and to be able to become independent. And it's very, it's very key for this. And I don't want them to become, um, because they don't have a good value of money. The fear for me, for the children is that I want them to have a healthy relationship with it. So that way they don't covet money. Cause I think that's where the struggle becomes when you start coveting things and you start looking at things as the be all end all, then you get wonky, right? Then your, your, your vision starts narrowing into that one focused spot and it shouldn't be cause you're losing out on all the other stuff. You're like a horse with blinders when you just go for money and that's all you see. I want them to have a healthy relationship. So we've started that. We started that a couple of years ago and I think it's helped out tremendously with them. So they see it. You know, it's not that we don't have money. It's that we want to spend the resources that we have on these areas and we're allotting certain other things on the other side. So we just don't spend everything whenever we want. And I think it's helped out tremendously. Yeah. It's a really good practice for sure. Okay. So we're going to, what are we taking away from this this weekend? Hmm. Sort of noticing how we spend money and what our stories are around money maybe where those came from. Yeah. I like that when we should do a follow-up one on this one too. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good beginning discussion on a series. Oh my goodness. I can see so many threads coming off of this because uh, yeah, I can see it talk about cryptocurrency. Oh, we shall talk about it. Shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk. I mean, when you open the door to money, I mean, there's just so much to talk about. So. Agreed. So this okay. will be the first part of the series. We'll call it money. Oh gosh, we have three series now. We're gonna have to like start the second the second uh, episode of the series of each of them again. Love it. Love it. Okay. Love it. All right. With that, go out and make a lot of money. Go out and make save, a lot of money. Save save the world. Go out, make make money, but make time. Make money, but make time. Make value. Make value. Okay. Thanks, See man. you next time. If you liked wherever it takes us, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Share the episode with someone who you think would like it. Leave us a five-star rating and write a review. We appreciate it.